if you're new here or visiting from out of town, we're just so glad you're here. Just um, anybody that comes here, it just, it adds to what we're doing. And, uh, you know, each of us is such a unique expression of, of, of God's love and who he is. And so thank you for being here today. And um, we're going to dig into John chapter 20. If you have a Bible, words are also be up here. But um, I read a poll recently where people were asked, what is Easter? And two-thirds of the people, a couple thousand people, uh, described Easter as a religious holiday. Uh, One-third did not know that Easter had anything to do with religion. Uh, They answered Easter was getting family or friends together, spring break, uh, an opportunity to enjoy food and candy, Easter bunny, Easter eggs. Uh, That last one, that was me until I was about 15, so I get it. Um, And those are all fun things. Uh, The poll looked deeper into the two-thirds that identified Easter as a religious holiday. Here's what they came up with. Some said that Easter is about the birth of Jesus. That would be a different holiday, right? Okay. Um, Others assuredly stated that it was about the rebirth of Jesus or the reincarnation of Jesus. Uh, We're getting warmer, right? You ever play that game when you're a kid? You're getting warmer, colder. Um, Another portion spoke that Easter is about the second coming of Jesus, of course. Okay, um, so those are some of the answers. In all, 42% of Americans stated correctly that Easter was the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That Jesus had risen from the dead, defeated death, and is alive today. Uh, so to be a Christian is to believe and confess that Jesus is alive. If someone were to ask what's the difference between a Christian or a non-Christian, it, it's, it's really this is that uh, Christians believe that Jesus is alive today. And while somebody that would uh, accept Jesus as a good moral teacher or admire him, uh, they still, if they don't believe that Jesus is alive, Jesus is a dead person, right? And I think that we all can, we all can decide today that the difference between an alive person and a dead person is a huge difference. And it makes all the difference in the world uh, for us. Uh, I have a friend who described Jesus being alive as Jesus on the loose. Uh, so he's alive, he's not contained, he's wild, he's unexpected, he's a surprise. Uh, it makes me think of when I was a senior in high school, uh, we uh, played football and uh, I had a set of keys for my car at the beginning of the season that I thought that I lost. But in actuality, my good friend Joey had my keys. And so what Joey did is the first week of the season, he left practice early and moved my car one space over from where I parked it. And then the next week, he'd move it a couple more spaces further. Till 10 weeks later at the end of the season, my car was a quarter mile away, you know, all the way on the other side of the campus. And, and, you know, this is, this is kind of early 90s, late 80s. And so, uh, you know, you had things like Knight Rider and Kit. Look it up, if, okay? But you, you, you had these ideas that cars were alive, right? But it was un- unexpected. It was a surprise. And uh, that's how Jesus is, you know? Jesus is on the loose. Uh, the religious rulers thought that they did away with him, but then all of a sudden his disciples were doing the same things that he did, loving the unlovely and healing people and all sorts of things. And so it makes a difference whether Jesus is alive or dead today because a Jesus of history doesn't do much for us. There's plenty of historical figures, but if Jesus is alive, 
That's significant. So what does the resurrection mean for me, for you, for your family, for the world today? I mean, like, does it really make a difference for us? And, and I would say that it does, and it's this, is because Jesus has risen from the dead, all things can rise. In other words, the trajectory of all things before Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and rose from the dead and defeated death, the trajectory of everything was down. The trajectory of everything was towards death. But through Jesus rising from the grave, defeating death itself, now the trajectory of everything is alive, that everything can rise. And that means that you and I can as well. And and this is what I mean, is that it hits real life. It hits street level. Because for some today, we may enter into this and we may say, you you know, does this matter to my real life? Like, how does this hit street level? How does it matter with what, what's going on with me? And um, I want to help with that. If you're in the Kansas City area and um, you're, you're not a part of this church, you're visiting today, I want to invite you back for two weeks. Uh, we're going to have a series, Real Life, Real Love. And this series is going to focus on what the love of Jesus can do in my real life, in my real relationships. Because most of us are so busy like doing life, that our most important relationships, the relationship with God and relationship with other people, they, they get kind of pushed off to the side and we just survive. But there's another way with Jesus. So I invite you back for that. So let's, let's look at this call that we're called into with the resurrection of Jesus. First, the call has to do with the hope of a new day. Uh, you know, we had a sunrise service this morning, and, and the, 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 you know, the really hardcore people, some of you are here, uh, came out. And it was beautiful besides the chilling wind, okay? Um, but it was, it, was, it was really a beautiful morning. But a new day came up. The sun came up, and, and, and we celebrated together. But a hope of a new day is really has to do with the hope of a, a new humanity, Right? We can look around us and we can look at the things that have been done to us, look at the things that we've done to others, and, and we can look at you know, the things in the world that we would change, that we would love to push a button and just change that right there. And the hope of the resurrection is this, is that we have a new humanity that, that walks in freedom. Uh, you know, as, as, as Westerners, Americans, we love our freedom, don't we? But a lot of times we really trade in a counterfeit freedom for real freedom. So there's a freedom that we walk in peace. There's a freedom that we walk in joy, that we walk in unity. Doesn't that sound good that, that people would be that way? A humanity where all is forgiven, a humanity where all is made right and all things rise. So if we're called into this resurrection, what you see happening now is that you see a deposit, okay? Because things are still messed up. What God did through the resurrection has been worked out into the dough of this world for the last 2,000 years, and it's changing. And when somebody is um, helped or somebody is healed or somebody is loved or, or the, the poor are cared for or the, the marginalized are cared for and brought into community and, 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 and when somebody that's an outcast is now brought in, that is a preview, like when you watch a movie, a trailer, for the movie, that's a preview of how things are going to be ultimately. See, the resurrection gives us a taste that we people will be in a day where there's no more pain, there's no more fear, there's no more sickness, there's no more death. 
All is forgiven, all is here. There's no more tears. It's described as the lion will lay down with the lamb, that there's nothing between us anymore. Now, if we need this hope of this new day today, the disciples that were with Jesus needed this because they were his roommates. They were the people that walked with him and went with him everywhere and did life with him. See, they were there when he changed water into wine. When he opened the eyes of the blind, he opened the ears of the deaf and and he healed and set the lepers free and he loved the unlovely and he rebelled against the religious and political establishment for their cold hearts towards God and others. When he raised the dead, And all of these guys were invited into the kingdom just like we are. Uh, But it was clear to them that a new day had drawn, and it it was there, and and, and, and that's for us too. There was a hope. But the problem is, is that Thursday and Friday happened before Sunday. You see, they were with Jesus for three years, and then all of a sudden he died. And then the resurrection happened that day. And so they needed the hope of a new day, and so do we too. So let's pray, and then we're going to dive into this chapter here. God, thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that you see us like no one else sees us. You are present in our joy. You are present in our pain. And God, we want to come as a people right now, and we ask that you would move beyond our defenses, God. We ask that you would help us to bring the real us to you. And we ask for the same back, God. We ask for your presence, that Holy Spirit, I ask that you would teach and share with each person what they need to hear today. In Jesus' name, amen. So in John chapter 20, verse 1, we're going to run through this and we're going to see this. And we're going to see in verse 1, we see early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So there should be... um, uh, there should be a slide there. Is there a slide? Uh, shows a stone. All right, so these stones were about 2,000 pounds, okay? So for some of our cars, okay, or small trucks, about 2,000 pounds. And so, um, and they would have, they had this trough that they would be rolled down into, to be able to seal the tomb. So um, gravity was still around then too. And so, you know, very difficult, you know, to, to, to pull up out of there. But it's interesting. It says that the, the stone had been removed from the entrance. It wasn't rolled back up there, but it was removed from the entrance. And so you ask yourself, why, was this, why did the stone need to be moved? Was it so that Jesus could get out? No, it was so that we could get in and other people could see what happened. In verse 2, It says, so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know why they, where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. So the sharing of the foot race here, where you see John, who's writing this, he gets to tell the narrative, right? But he says, says, look, you know, this one, the one that Jesus loved, got there first. 
This is something that, that legal experts look for in the truth of a story. Uh, they want to look for things that are mentioned that don't have to do with the overall idea, big idea that's being communicated. Because ideas like this, they wouldn't be rehearsed. If somebody were trying to pull something over on us, they would have just rehearsed ideas and nothing else. But John shares this idea, so it's important that we see that. Uh, don't you love the personalities here that, that, that John gets up to the tomb, he got there first, but he sits there and he thinks, right? Any analyticals here, more, more inward, just kind of, I'm going to check this out for maybe a couple weeks and just kind of think about this, right? But then Peter, who all throughout the Gospels is, is this impulsive, action-oriented guy that's just like, well, what are we waiting for? Let's, let's dive in. And so Peter gets there and he just dives straight in. It says that Peter saw the strips as well as the cloth. And so the, the body would have been um, wrapped in linen strips, okay? And then there would have been aloes and spices and, uh, and, and they would be put upon the, the wraps. And then even over the, the few days that Jesus was in the tomb, these would have dried and there would have been like a mummifying of, of his body. And it would have been somewhat hard. In other words, you couldn't just unwrap it. Like if you wrapped your ankle or you wrapped something with some gauze, it would be very difficult to get off with hands. You'd have to cut it or do that sort of thing. Um, and so it also says there was a cloth for the head. So there was a separate piece for his head. And it says that both were lying there and, uh, you know, it, it, you know, it separately. And it was as if not the body, somebody cut it out or, or undid it, but it was as if it just, it just, it evaporated. It just left. It was no longer there. And yet the linen and the cloth was where it was placed before. So there was a space between the, the, the linen and, and then the head. And so that's what they discovered at that point. And then in verse 8, it says, Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So a rich man's um, a rich man's tomb, so Joseph of Arimathea gave this tomb for Jesus to be buried in. A rich man's tomb would be about, about three feet high and, and about two and a half feet wide for the entrance. So you could definitely walk into it, but it takes some commitment. It takes some commitment to step into the tomb, and it takes getting low a little bit. You know, in other words, you have, to, you have to kneel down or bend down a little bit. And, you know, you might think, well, that's kind of how it is to come to Jesus too, right? I've got to get a little humble. I've got I've to recognize my need for him. You know, there's all these things that make it interesting with the resurrection of Jesus in the empty tomb. And it says, it says that John believed in verse 8. He believed because he saw the empty tomb and then he saw the clothes, and he thought about it, and he said, you know what? Jesus is alive. That's different than many of the other disciples. The, the first followers of Jesus didn't believe just because of the empty tomb. For instance, Thomas said, look, I want more information, right? Anybody been there? Like, hey, this sounds interesting, but I want more information. He was with Jesus for three years, and he said, look, I won't believe unless I can I can touch the wounds in his side and his hands. I won't believe until I can really investigate this myself. And so he wanted proof. 
So let's, let's unpack this and wrestle with, with the proof a little bit. So this was at the beginning of a 40-day period where Jesus actually, yes, he was no longer in the grave, but remember, he's alive. So it wasn't that he was just gone and then like, well, he must be alive. Jesus walked around for 40 days in that Jerusalem, Galilee area. So people saw him. That's how people believed in Jesus was that he resurrected from the dead and then now he's alive, but there was a whole new humanity that he was functioning in. So they interacted with that. There was individual accounts. So individual people said, I met with Jesus and he was, he was with me face to face. The one that died was in the tomb, was dead, is resurrected, and now I'm face to face with them. There was group accounts where small groups where actually Jesus walked through a wall and just appeared. Hey, guys, how's it going? He's there. There's things like that. And then there was even an account of 500 people. There was 500 people that were there with Jesus. But here's the interesting thing. Not all of the accounts match up. So it's just like if you've ever been in a car accident or, or uh, if you remember being a kid and your parents say, what happened? You know, you've got three or four different views and, and everybody's out for their own interests, right? But if you put the pieces together, you have really what happened. So it is with this. They're not all the same accounts. There's things that people saw differently. But altogether, what we see is that Jesus rose from the grave. But Jesus was always up against power, Jesus was always up against the power of the day because the power of the day, religious and political, kept people out of the kingdom of God. You see, there was this whole idea that these people know God, but in reality, when God showed up, Jesus, in the flesh, he showed those people to be on the outside with God, and then the people that seemed far from God were seen to be on the inside with God because it's trajectory. Jesus changes trajectory. It's not about religious activity for closeness with God, but it's about relationship with Jesus and with his resurrection. But many people, the, the powerful, decided ideas, well, let's, let's change the narrative and let's say that, let's say that uh, you know, his disciples stole the body and just took it away. A few problems with that. There was a seal. There was a, there was a, a, a Roman seal on the grave, similar to that, which is if you, if you mess with this, you mess with... Caesar, you mess with the Roman government, you'll die if you mess with this, okay? Then too, there was Roman guards there. And so they actually told the Roman guards, listen, tell them that you fell asleep. Problem with that is that if they fell asleep on watch, they would be executed. So that's what they started sharing. And then here's even the, what puts it all down, you guys, because lots of ideas have come up, but none of them work. None of them are plausible to put away the resurrection of Jesus, that he's alive. Is this, is that all of the disciples besides two were martyred for their faith in Christ after the resurrection. Judas betrayed Jesus. John lived to a ripe old age. And then the other 10 gave up their lives intentionally because of the idea that Jesus was alive. If it was all a hoax, they could have just said, hey, you got us, you caught me, game of hide and seek, I'm found. But that's not what happened. And for 2,000 years, people have been giving up life and death for Jesus Christ. In verse 10, 
It says, then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now it gets even more personal because we've talked about this in general terms, but it gets more personal. It's just not personal for Mary, but it's personal for you and I. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying as she wept. She went over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus's body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. So Jesus was resurrected from the dead, same body, same wounds, but different, right? Different. It's, it's a new body. It's a new way of living. It's a new way of humanity. So for some reason, she couldn't recognize him at first. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he said these things to her. So notice how the resurrection was personal for, for, for Mary Magdalene. This was Mary that had seven spirits cast out from her from Jesus. So she was a tortured soul. She was somebody that, uh, you know, there's different ideas about who she is. Uh, I believe that she was probably more of a businesswoman and, and a successful person. But everything looked good on the outside versus uh, on the reality on the inside. She was, she was a very unhappy person. She, you know, things were really sad on the inside, and yet everybody else thought she was good. And so it was personal for her. Um, Mary's words reveal her devotion to Jesus. Notice she says, go get him, and I'll take him back. She didn't expect for him to be alive. And she's, she must have been pretty buff, though, because Jesus was a full-grown man, 175 pounds, let's say, uh, you know, in his mid-30s. And then you add all of the spices and the, the linen to, you know, she, she thought, you know, uh, you know, so maybe, you know, over 200 pounds and she would take him back. Now, Jesus says to her, he says, Miriam, that would be the Hebrew name. Or in Greek, we get into Maria. And then it says Mary here. But it's interesting because Jesus doesn't tell her who he is by just saying, it's me. But he speaks affectionately to her. He says, Mary. He says her name like no one else could say her name. And so he tells who he is by sharing who she is to him. And you guys, this is God. You want to know today, you know what? I would love to hear from God. You know, if this is true, I'd love for all of this to be good. God is so creative about the way that he loves you and I. He uses nature. He speaks to us through, through the sunrise and the sunset, the faithfulness of that. He uses animals to speak to you. He uses, not voices necessarily. If you hear that, let's talk. Um, but, but, but he uses all sorts of things to communicate to you. And, and it's like this. I heard somebody recently, he was talking about when his grandkids came over to the house, he would hide gummy bears throughout the house. And they're little toddlers. And so, so, you know, he'd have one right here and they just, right, they're getting gummy bears. So they rush in and there's a gummy bear right there, you know, and, and they're, well, you're getting warmer and they're going back. And, and he just talked about how 
they do this for them to have it, but they rush by it. Isn't that a little bit how God is? He's, he's so creative, loving us, and, and just affectionately just showering goodness upon us. But then we go running by the gummy bears that he sets out for us. And so with Mary, it's personal, and, and, and so it is with you, right? I mean, God knows you so personally. He adores you. you you're the beloved of his creation, You are his. And just like it's surprising that Jesus is alive, it's surprising with his love. God's love is surprising, you guys. And I know it's hard because we, we, we live out of the lens of our lives many times, and we live out of the disappointments, and we live out of the curtain, current reality. And, and part of that is possibly religion's fault, right? Like, you may have heard, like, well, you know, where are you going to go when you die? You know, and so, so you need to... You know, follow Jesus so that when you die, you're in a good place. And the subliminal message is this, is that religion doesn't have to do with, or Jesus doesn't have to do with life now. Great. To get all of this, I got to die. That's not the story, friends. The story is, is that eternal life starts now. You see, eternal life doesn't speak of length. It speaks of substance. And so eternal life is a different life now. When you receive it, life is different now. That's what we get in Jesus. And so Peter, who we read in this story, he denied Jesus and when he was crucified. And then he found forgiveness later with Jesus. So personal. John, who was here, he found the love Jesus, of Jesus sufficient. He said, I'm the one that Jesus loved, the disciple that Jesus loved. He bragged about that. But you guys, he needed it. Think about it. All of his friends were gone. All of the other disciples are gone. John's left alone. He's, he's, he's in an old age. And he has people he's training and loving and doing that, but he lived a long time and he, he had a long journey. And things didn't go the way they're supposed to. And I mean, he, they tried to kill him, but they couldn't. But he found Jesus's love sufficient, you guys. If John were here with us today and he's actually written things to us, that the love of God is everything, what it does in us. He actually wrote in, in his epistle, um, it says that God has communicated with us and here's the message that Jesus brought. Like he summed up everything Jesus did and said. He said, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. You're like, well, great, <laughs> What does that mean? God is good. This is his world. He's glad you're in it. He loves you. There's no darkness. He's not hiding anything from you. We know how he feels about us by looking at Jesus. And you know, you guys, there was a time too, Jesus experienced all the things that we do, all of the, the disappointments and all the letdowns and the losses of friends and people. And his friend Lazarus was died and he got there too late. And Lazarus's sisters came to him and, and said, hey, listen, if you had gotten here earlier, he wouldn't have died. But this is what Jesus says to her. He tells her, amongst some other things, he tells her, that I am the resurrection in the life. 
And anyone that believes in me, even though they die, they shall live. Notice he didn't say, I know about the resurrection and the life. But he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And so not only substance, but also length of life are found in Jesus Christ. Now, Mary in her brokenness, she was the first one to communicate the resurrection of Jesus. What an honor. She was so broken, and yet she got to communicate this first. And there's countless mores that have found their identity as a beloved child of God. You know, some people say the hardest thing you'll ever do is get to know yourself. And I believe that's true. But I don't believe it's hard. I think figuring out your little intricacies and different things, I think that takes a lifetime. But here's the thing. Your identity, why am I here? What am I made for? Is you are completely the object of God's love. You are the beloved of God. You are a child of God. And Jesus Christ has made it so that there's nothing between us and God. That is your identity. That's your job description. That's your calling. And then within that, you work that out and enjoy that. So you might be saying this morning, you know, it doesn't add up to me. Why would God become a human being, live his life, let himself be killed, and then rise from the grave? Why wouldn't God just open up the clouds and say, here I am, right? Would seem a lot simpler, okay? And yet, to help with this, here's a flyover of what Soren Kierkegaard wrote in The King and the Maiden. Suppose there was a king who loved a humble maiden. This king was like no other king. Every statesman trembled before his power. No one dared breathe a word against him, for he had the strength to crush all opponents. And yet this mighty king was melted by love for a humble maiden. How could he declare his love for her? In an odd sort of way, his kingliness tied his hands. If he brought her to the palace and crowned her head with jewels and clothed her body in royal robes, she would surely not resist him. But would she love him? She would say she loved him, of course, but would she truly? Would she be happy at his side? How could he know? If he rode to her forest cottage in his royal carriage with an armed escort waving bright banners, that too would overwhelm her. He did not want a cringing subject. He wanted a lover. He wanted a lover, so the mighty king disguised himself as a beggar and went alone to the maiden's door in the wood to win her heart. This is how God has come to you. He's become someone like you, and he's just loved you. And it's tangible, and we can see it. And thousands of people, millions of people, tens of millions of people, hundreds of millions of people have said, yes, I'll receive that life. Yes, I'll receive that love. The question today is, will you? Will you receive it? I did it when I was 15 years old. I never had walked into a church before in my life, and I found that there was breadcrumbs that God was moving in my life and loving me affectionately and protecting me and doing all sorts of things. But it wasn't until I was 15 years old and I heard, I heard this about Jesus and I, I was given the opportunity and somebody asked me that, will you? And I said, yes. And, you know, that's 30 years now. And I feel like, you know, listen, there's a lot to clean up, okay? There's a lot to clean up. So I feel like he's just getting started with me. But I'm journeying in his love. His love is so great for you. So will you? receive that today? Will you receive that as a child of God? John wrote earlier in his gospel, he said this, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to be children of God. So will you receive him today? Will you receive his love as a child today? 
So what's involved in rising with Christ in his resurrection? What's involved in receiving his love? Well, his resurrection means that God has approved of Christ's sacrifice on the cross as payment for our sin, for our debt. It means all is forgiven. You and I are debt-free in Christ. There's nothing. It means that your sins, past, present, and future, are wiped away. Now, you may say, well, you know, what are sins? Well, you know, don't, you know, listen to rock and roll, chew, or hang out with girls that do. You know, whatever, whatever you know, right? Is that it? No, listen, those are, sim- those are symptoms of things, guys. That's just symptoms. I mean, we could all sit here and, and say, you know, well, I did this and I did that. And was well, that forgivable and those things? That's not it. What we're saved from, you guys, is sin is trying to save ourselves. It's self-sufficiency. It's saying like, hey, you know what? I can do it myself. I can make myself righteous. I can make my relationship right with God and people. And yet the righteous one says, no, you can't. You need my help. And so that's what he does. He rescues us from that. And in Christ, God says, it's done. There's nothing else to be paid. It also means that we have a new birth in Christ. So a fresh start, a do-over, a new beginning in Christ, a new day. Every day is new in Christ. His mercies are new every morning. Lastly, the resurrection means that King Jesus is faithful. God's word says he is the rock. Deuteronomy 32, 3 through 4 says this, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. O praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect in all his ways are just. A faithful God who does not does no wrong, upright and just is he. And here's the last thing, you guys. This is how God shows up time and time again. You know, you say, well, I don't know what to do with my life. I don't know. I, I've made mistakes. Or, or you say, Cody, I don't know what you're talking about. I've, I've nailed it. I'm batting, I'm batting a thousand. You know, I've got this life thing figured out. Listen, none of that changes anything with this, is that God says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. That's God's heart for you today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that you defeated death itself. And God, we thank you that we, um, in Christ, can be made right with you and with others. And, and we just thank you for your great love, God. And just while we're, we're, we're praying today, heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want to give you an opportunity. And if that's you today, you know, when I said, will you? And he said, yeah, I will. I will. I will receive the love of Christ. And that doesn't mean that you've got everything figured out. It doesn't mean that you um, got everything just, uh, you know, you can explain everything. But it just means like, yeah, you know what? I need help. I need Jesus. And I need what Jesus did for me. And, and this new life sounds good. This eternal life sounds good. Pray this prayer in the quietness of your heart. Lord, come into my life. I'm in need of a Savior. I ask you to wash me and cleanse me and make me new. I believe that you died for my sin and that you rose again from the dead. So now fill me with new life by your spirit. I now make you Savior and Lord of my life. And just while we're praying today, it, just between me, you, and God, if you prayed that prayer today as either a first time or a rededication to Jesus, then just right where you're at, would you just slip your hand up so I can see you? Hold it up till I see you. Yeah, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Yeah, God bless you. Yeah, God bless you. I see you. 
Yeah, God bless you. I see you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll see you today. Yeah, God, we pray for these that are responding to your love today. And, and Lord, also too, I pray for those that um, it's hard. And they believed in your love and yet things have gotten so jacked up. And it's just not a good story. And so, God, I just ask that you would wrap your arms around those today, that they would see your tender touch again and experience your love again and bring your healing and your life and your hope. Amen. So let's welcome those that, that said, I will today, and give them a hand and stand with me, please. Yeah. So yeah, you know, if, if you've made a decision for Christ today, you know, whether you raised your hand or not, I know that's hard. Um, I want to ask that you share that with somebody. Um, there's a card in the seat in front of you and it talks about a next step. You know, if that's you, yeah, I've got, I've got a next step today. You know, it may be baptism in two weeks. We have a baptism here. You express your relationship with Christ. It may be that relationship with Christ, but write that on there and turn that in. God bless you guys. Let's worship one more song here.